what's amazing obviously it's the food it's the people but it's it's you're here you're actually in the place where jesus was born and where he was raised and where he did ministry i live in the city where he preached and died and rose again and where he's coming back to but what is so great about living in israel anyway hi and welcome to inside the epicenter with joel rosenberg a podcast of the joshua fund a ministry dedicated to blessing Israel and her neighbors in the name of Jesus. I'm Carl Muller, Executive Director of the Joshua Fund, and today we're going to answer that question from someone who many of you might not realize lives in Jerusalem, in Israel. Our founder, Joel Rosenberg. Joel, great to be with you, uh, with you in Jerusalem and me in California. It's it's just wonderful to uh, be able to be together on this technology. So, Answer that question, Joel. What's so great about living in Israel? Well, happy to do it, Carl. I, I, but let me start with a joke because when we were getting ready to move to Israel as new citizens, it wasn't my first time obviously here, but we can talk about that too. But I have two younger sisters and uh, they're both adopted. And one is, uh, the youngest is from Korea. Her name is Kate. And uh, we call her Katie growing up. And I and she said like, now, now Joel, I, you know, having never been there, you know, like, is there McDonald's in Israel? I mean, absolutely. There's lots of McDonald's. And, and in fact, there's one in Armageddon, the Armageddon McDonald's. And she's like, what? I said, there's literally, they've really literally built a McDonald's right around the corner from the mountain of Megiddo, where the book of Revelation says the end of the world uh, is going to happen. And I said, so I, I, was, once pre- I was once teaching at K. Arthur's uh, Precepts Bible Study uh, uh, Conference in uh, Tennessee. And uh, I said, you know, it's amazing that McDonald's actually built a McDonald's at Armageddon. Like they must be thinking, wait, you're telling me that according to Bible prophecy, all the forces of the world are going to be converging in this one spot. Well, they're going to have to eat right now. I'm not sure if they'll be loving it at that, you know, particular moment. And those, those fries might be a little overdone, but, and I told her this little riff and I said, uh, you know, and then afterwards I was doing a book signing and somebody came up in the line and she said, oh, Joel, thank you so much for giving that shout out to McDonald's. I said, well, it wasn't really a shout out. I mean, I did work there when I was a kid, but she goes, no, no, because I'm a franchise owner of, of a McDonald's store. I said, wow. Okay. She goes, according to Bible prophecy, where else should we be positioning <laughs> McDonald's? And I was like, what is happening? This is not happening. And I said, well, you might try Babylon. Um, that's going to be the wealthiest uh, city on the planet in the end of days. I don't know that you'll be able to repatriate any of your money to Oak Brook, Illinois. But so Katie then says, uh, all right, so they got McDonald's. Did you have like, um, and she mentioned various, uh, like, like Ikea. Do you have Ikea? I said, yes, we actually have two Ikeas. She goes, do you have Target? I said, Katie, you can't build, it's the Middle East. You can't build a store with a big bullseye on it like she goes and then she just burst out laughing i'm like but I, hopefully we're going to get over here her over here later uh, this year in fact possibly possibly on the joshua fund tour she's been wanting this to year. come with her husband and maybe some of her kids and i you know so anyway uh there's lots of fun things here those are not the most fun but i i joke because oh look it, it, what's amazing obviously it's the food it's the people but it's it's you're here you're actually in the place where Jesus was born and where he was raised and where he did ministry. I live in the city where he preached and died and rose again and where he's coming back to. And of course, you know, the apostles and the prophets, if you only were interested in Israel for the history and for the food and for the people and the beaches, and it'd be amazing. But when you look at the archaeology and and the prophetic history and all that God did to write the Bible here, wow, I just... It, it's a mind-blowing experience. And I lived in Washington, D.C. for 24 years, which I loved because it was so historic and so about the present and so about the future that I thought that was pretty cool. But this is way cooler. <laughs> well, look, I think that's that's really an important part of the story here. Maybe take us back, uh, first of all, to growing up in the U.S., in upstate New York. And what was your perspective on Israel then? I mean, with a with a name like Joel Rosenberg, you must have, you know, Always been thinking about Israel growing up as a little kid. No, not at all. And in fact, uh, so first, I, I, you know, I, even though you know, I have an Orthodox Jewish father. I mean, he was when as he was growing up, but my mother's Gentile. But no, they didn't tell me anything about Israel uh, when I was growing up. Uh, and then I went to a church eventually when we all came to faith that they didn't talk about Israel. They didn't talk about prophecy. They didn't have a tour to Israel. They weren't against, as far as I know. 
but I don't remember it being a thing. And have I told this story actually on on this podcast about not knowing I was Jewish until the fifth grade? If I have I actually, I think, it bears, I think it bears repeating. I think uh, because it, it's, it's so really ridiculous. Hard. It's so ridiculous, Carl. All right, I'll I'll share this story. So you're like, wait a minute. Joel, are you saying you didn't know you were Jewish until the fifth grade? Yes, that is what I'm saying. But your name is Joel Rosenberg. That's so Jewish. Like, you must have been the dumbest kid in the class. Absolutely. I totally was the dumbest kid in the class. But I didn't know because I didn't know that the name Joel or Rosenberg were Jewish. I didn't. Nobody taught me that. No, I never heard that. And I didn't know a lot of other Jewish kids in our school or in our town. We have... I, I was born in Syracuse, New York, but my parents moved to a very little tiny village just outside of Rochester, New York. Rochester is a bigger city, home of Kodak, Xerox, Bausch & Lomb, very high tech. But this we were in a little tiny town of 5,000 people called Fairport, which is a cute, adorable, you know, right out of uh, Norman Rockwell. I mean, just an adorable little town, but not many Jewish people. <laughs> and I didn't know I was Jewish. So, and you're like, but but didn't your father tell you? No, that's the thing. He he never mentioned it because his experience growing up as an Orthodox Jew in Brooklyn was not positive. You know, I know Orthodox Jews who still live in Brooklyn or are from Brooklyn and they live in Israel now, but, and many of them have a lovely growing up, but he had a very, very painful, sad childhood. His parents hated him. He hated his parents. The situation with the rabbi, the synagogue, the mean streets of Brooklyn, it was not good. And so he basically rejected not just the Jewish Orthodox Jewish religion, uh, which is a lot of rules and regulations. and uh, But he had, uh, basically rejected his Jewish identity in many ways and decided at the age of 18 to flee from that and move to the promised land, La Jolla, California, right? Uh, when I say promised land, people think, oh, you went to Israel. No, that would have been more Jewish. And for him, you know, rightly or wrongly, he tied up all the pain and, and, the, and the anger and the trauma of childhood with his Jewishness. So, Anyway, anyway, eventually he meets and marries my, you know, Gentile mother, and they were both agnostics at that point. Both come to faith in Jesus in 1973, right? I have mentioned this, I think, that my father thought he was the first Jew since the Apostle Paul who believed that Jesus is the Messiah. Like, no, he never heard of any Jew that thought that, and he never met one for sure. And in 1973, there weren't that many. Now, he and my mom start dragging my sister, I only had one adopted sister at that point, off to church. Little tiny, cute, adorable little church, maybe 300, 350 people. Very sweet, very friendly, very warm, very inviting. And anyway, long story short, over the next few years, as my parents are growing in their faith, one of the elders asked my dad, they said, Len, you're Jewish, right? He said, and that usually in Brooklyn, you'd like get your fists up. Like uh, when a Gentile asks yeah. you if you're Jewish, you're preparing for combat. So he said, yeah, why do you ask? You know, very suspicious. He's like, well, because you that means you know the Old Testament, right? Now, that's a common fallacy of many Gentile Christians that they just assume that people who were raised Jewish know the Old Testament Bible because that it would make sense, but it's usually not true. So my dad's like, mm, why do you ask? He said, and the elder said, because we have this sixth grade Sunday school class and we need a teacher. And it's basically Old Testament Bible stories. That's the focus of the curriculum. We thought maybe you'd be interested. And my father thought, all right, well, I probably know the Old Testament better than the sixth graders. Sure, I'll do that. And it turns out he had a gift of teaching, by the way, a spiritual gift of teaching, which he didn't know. He's very a very uh, private and uh, introverted person. But boy, he really came alive teaching sixth grade Sunday school class. Now, again, he's teaching sixth grade. I'm in fifth grade. Now, Carl, <laughs> I really didn't care much about fifth grade Sunday school class. I really didn't want to be there, and I wasn't really – focused. But what happened was there was a little girl in the sixth grade that was raised by a family that Gentiles, but they just loved Israel. They loved Jewish people. And they just, you know, even though this little girl was, you know, what, 12 years old, she was really quite interested in Judaism and, and, and what God was doing in the Jewish people. Oh, Mr. Rosenberg, she raised her hand. That's a Jewish name, right? Uh, yes, Angie, that's Jewish. And she says, well, you know, so you were raised Jewish? Like none of the other kids in the class even care, okay? Right. But she's interested. Anyway, so as the months go on, you know, she's more interested than the others. And she keeps asking, did you celebrate Hanukkah? Yes, Angie, I, I celebrated Hanukkah. Okay, well, wh what did you do? And, you know, and as each Jewish holiday came up, she would ask more questions. So anyway, it got up to 
near Passover. And she said, oh, Mr. Rosenberg, did you celebrate Passover? Yes, Angie, I celebrated Passover. What, did, what was that like? What did you do? What are the foods like? What are the, you know? And then at the end of the conversation, she says, could we celebrate Passover in our class? No, again, it really is astonishing, a little sixth grader asking these questions yeah. when nobody else really could give a rip. And uh, my father you know, couldn't really think quickly of like why he could say no to her. So he's like, Sure, we'll do a Passover Seder next week in the class. She's like, hey. So we all come home from church that day. Of course, I haven't been in that room, that class. And my father says at lunch, we might have been having ham. I don't know, but it's, it's possible <laughs> for a Sunday lunch. So it's my dad possible. says, yeah, my dad really, we were a little assimilated. So my dad says, hey, listen, next week in my class, I'm going to be having a Passover Seder. And I'd love it if you all would, would join me and be part of that class next week. I'm like, excuse me, I have a question. What's a Passover Seder? And my <laughs> father's like, what do you mean, what is a Passover Seder? I said, well, I don't know what one is, so I'm asking. You don't know what Passover is? I said, no, I don't. Joel, it's one of the most famous Jewish holidays there is. I said, oh, okay, could you tell me? I, I don't know what you're talking about. So he explains Passover. Then I said, well, what's a Seder? Is that what you call it, a Seder? What's that? He goes, you don't know what a Seder is? I said, no, I, that, that's, again, why I'm asking, Dad, I really have no idea. So he explains that this is the ceremony that you have to celebrate Passover. I said, how would you know how to do that? And he looks at me and goes, because I'm Jewish. I said, you're Jewish? Does that mean I'm Jewish? How did this never come up? Are you, are you serious? Now, this is how I discovered that I was Jewish. Now, by way of context, Carl, I should say, that it turns out, as I've told the story over you know many decades all over the world, people come up to me and say, I didn't know I was Jewish because it was hidden from them purposely to keep them safe or to avoid anti-Semitism or whatever. In fact, there's some famous stories. George Allen, who was the governor and later senator of the state of Virginia, uh, he didn't know he was Jewish until he started running for either senator or governor. I don't remember. And, and a reporter dug through his records and said, did you know you're Jewish? He's like, what? Uh, famously, um, uh, who was it? Uh, uh, Madeleine Albright, the Secretary yeah. of State, who was born overseas in Eastern Europe, and, but she, she naturalized and came to the United States and everything. And, and, and as she was being confirmed to be the Secretary of State under President Clinton at that time, the diplomatic security service that was running a background check on her said, Madam Secretary-designate, did you know that you're Jewish? And she's like, what? Now, I was a little suspicious when Hillary Clinton decided to run for Senate in New York and discovered she was Jewish. I mean, I mean, I guess it's possible, but it seemed a little convenient since she was moving from Chicago to, uh, to New York and from a, a Chicago Cubs fan to it. Anyway, all that to say, a couple of years later, I, I, I went to that, I should say, I, I went to that Seder. I remember that Seder. It's one of the wow. earliest memories I have that was very positive. And then two years later, I was in seventh grade and it was since it's such a small church, youth group was seventh, eighth, and ninth grade, and then there was another. So this little girl, Angie, is in the class, and she's like, "Oh, you're Joel Rosenberg. You're Mr. Rosenberg's son." I said, "Yeah." She goes, "So you're Jewish?" I said, "Apparently." And uh, <laughs> and then she says, "That's so cool." I said, "Is it?" So as we became friends, she was fascinated because of her family, and I was like. I guess. I mean, I, it never had dawned on me that this was interesting. I mean, I didn't even know I was, but now I was like, is that interesting? And years later, I just, you know, you know the story, but just to share it with everyone. So her parents, who were my junior high youth group leaders, by the way, John and Cheryl Moser, they ended up getting hired. I hired them for the Joshua Fund, and John became our first executive director, and, and Cheryl worked with him. And then Angie had married a Jewish believer, and we hired him and for I think it was 12 or 13 years he worked for the Joshua Fund and so like this family has been very uh, precious uh, to us uh, so Angie and Jeremy Grafman and just did a great job in building out uh, the part of the ministry of the Joshua Fund for a number of years and uh, so I just say that so I I was not raised in a family that talked about Israel cared about it it's not that they were against but it wasn't something like, oh, Joel, someday. Mm. Never even nothing. Yeah. yeah. So it is kind of crazy how much, you know, I feel like the guy who, uh, who's that guy who uh, had Norelco razors and he used to say, I love this product so much, I bought the company. You know, I ended up loving Israel so much, 
I became a citizen. <laughs> well, let's talk about that because uh, later, uh, after college and everything, I think you came to Israel. You took your first trip, uh, and in then college. And in then, college, yeah, I was a junior at Syracuse mm-hmm. University, and there was an opportunity to uh, come here for six months. And my parents were like, "Sure," and you know, it's not they were pushing me; they were like, "Yeah, that sounds good." And it was so interesting. I mean, it, it just totally changed my life. Well, you know, that's it must have because for many reasons. Uh, we're sitting here talking today, and you're in Jerusalem. You, you and your wife Lynn, uh, and and we can talk. I think we talked a little bit about this in Lynn's story uh, several episodes ago. But talk a little bit about what it was like for you guys to decide to move your family to Israel. I always knew from the time I studied here at Tel Aviv University for six months that. I was so moved by this country. I, 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 I didn't feel gypped like that anybody had kept this from me, but I did feel like I was discovering something for the first time. I just, it is amazing. It, and also proof that you don't really have to go to a church that talks about Israel or teaches this or be from a family that necessarily for the Lord to capture your heart and help you understand how important this really is to God's plan and purposes for not just for Jews, but for, for Gentiles, for the world. But that was so moving. I, I really, I don't think I used the word epicenter in my head at the time, but I knew this is the center of the world. This is the center of God's plans. And I don't know in what way, but I want to be involved in Israel in some way, shape, or form and be a blessing and, and just, you know, I don't know how the Lord would use that. I can't tell you, Carl, that I thought that I was going to become a citizen here. Now, when I came back from studying here, I actually then started dating Lynn, who had never been to Israel, but she was a Jewish studies minor, even though she's a Gentile raised on the Jersey shore, you know, uh, Jersey strong uh, as uh, you're from Jersey. And I had to get, you know, as a New Yorker, I had to get rid of all my New Jersey jokes out of my repertoire. And that was a lot of jokes because uh, uh, it's just how New Yorkers see New Jersey. But anyway, you know, she was amazing. And she, she was a creative writing major in a Jewish studies minor, which turned out to be like, a match made in heaven. Like, oh my gosh, not only was I in love with her, but I was going to become a creative writer and I, you know, interested in Jews. So uh, it was great. And then uh, we knew our life was going to be somehow connected to Israel, but we didn't really know how. And we never thought, never thought about citizenship. It just wasn't a thing. So long story short, and it is an interesting story, but, but the short version was we started the Joshua Fund in 2006 to bless Israel. And I was writing novels, of course, even before that, that had uh, threats to Israel and the United States woven into the books. And so I was talking about it and thinking about it and wanting to be a blessing and raise money and invest uh, in in ministries here and humanitarian relief and all of it. But still, I never thought we should become citizens. It just, I really thought you, first of all, it wasn't even possible legally, but I, I just, I never sensed that that was the specific way I was supposed to be involved. So anyway, but around uh, 2012 or so, Lynn and I were here with the, with our sons for about a month, uh, volunteering for Joshua Fund Ministry projects and meeting with our you know allies and colleagues here, and we just had this stirring, this sense like I think we're supposed to at least start the process of making Aliyah, which we thought that seems strange, but okay. I mean, what we weren't against it. Explain yeah. that word uh, again. That's not usually a lot of Americans wouldn't understand what the idea of making Aliyah means. Right. So right. let's take a quick second to do that, and then uh, we're going to get uh, take a break here in a second. But then we want to we want to hear what does that word mean? Sure. The simplest way to think of it is that it means the process of emigrating to Israel to become a citizen. But the word Aliyah is part of the Hebrew verb to to go up. So every time you hear about Jerusalem in the Bible, you're always going up. You go up to Jerusalem. Even if you live in the north and you're heading south to get here, you're still going up because you're literally going up. The mountains of Jerusalem surround the city as as described in, in the scriptures. And so from any direction, you're going up to get to Jerusalem. But also spiritually, it's both a, a literal, physical, geographical distinction, but it's also you're going up to the mountain of God. You're going up to Mount Zion and you're, you're going up closer to the Lord. That's so, and of course the Psalms, right? The whole series of the, the songs of ascent. You'd be literally singing these songs as you came up from the Jordan River Valley, which is the steepest incline to get up to mm-hmm. Jerusalem. Uh, you're going from lower than, uh, you know, uh, uh, sea level all the way up to the, you know, the mountains of Jerusalem. So it's, uh, it's a steep climb and you'd be singing 
panting, perhaps. I would probably be panting and singing. But anyway, you're singing the songs of ascents, the psalms that we have recorded. So anyway, that's what it means. And um, it's a very special thing to become a citizen of Israel. But it's a very challenging country. But it's amazing and it's beautiful. And I want people to come here. They don't have to become a citizen, but they have to come here. That's right. Take that one step at a time. We're gonna. I want to finish that story about how you guys decided to come here, and then we're going to talk about some of the things that make Israel so special, yeah. and why sure. you know why we have it as part of our uh, ministry in the Joshua. So uh, stand by. We're going to take a quick break right now. Hi everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-497-4410. I'm here with spokesman John Wolfe. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in... Anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-497-4410. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-497-4410. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. Well, our verse of the day today is found in the book of Isaiah, chapter 14, verse 1. For the Lord will have compassion on Jacob and will again choose Israel and will set them in their own land. And sojourners will join them and will attach themselves to the house of Jacob. Our prayer requests today are that pray that God continues to provide resources for all those working in Israel to see lives changed and transformed. And second, pray that God continues to open doors of opportunities in Israel and touches the hearts of people around the world to continue to stand with Israel. Well, Joel, we're back, and I know we uh, we kind of have just found ourselves in the middle of your story of making Aliyah or going up into Israel and Jerusalem to, to emigrate into Israel, uh, you and your family. So uh, finish that story for us. And then uh, then I just want to get some of your thoughts on why Israel is, is such a cool place. Well, you know, uh, the Lord did a real uh, special thing. I mean, we you know, I've been teaching about the prophecies that all Jews will eventually return to the land of Israel. We see this in a number of places in the scriptures. Maybe most prominently to me is at the end of Ezekiel 39. He says, I will not leave any um, of the Jewish people out there in the nations. Now, I don't know if that literally means that nobody is allowed to travel outside or work outside or, you know, you know, whatever, study abroad or whatever. But the point is, having driven us into exile— 2,000 years ago, around the time of 70 AD and the destruction of the temple and all the rest, the first and second great uh, Jewish revolts, and then the Romans crushing us, killing a million Jews at that time, the Lord drove us into exile to every nation on the on the planet. And then prophetically, he said, I'm going to bring you back, and I'm going to rebuild the ancient ruins and make the deserts bloom and you know give you a sovereign nation state again, and, and so on and so forth. And so this is what he's doing. And I, I taught that. It's not that I didn't believe it. I did believe it. I just didn't know that I would be a part of it. That might sound strange to people, but if you know anything about me, you know I'm not, not the sharpest knife in the drawer. I just didn't think about it being something that God meant me to do because I thought most of my my calling is to educate people, um, you know, mostly the church, but others too, about Israel, and that means traveling all over the planet. Um, I didn't really picture coming and having my base camp here and then using, you know, the platform of the Joshua Fund, the Rosenberg Report on TBN, uh, the All Israel News and All Arab News news platforms to communicate to the rest of the world from here, spending much more time here than I used to. So I just didn't see that coming, but it, it's been a wonderful testimony. It was it was super hard, and that's why I don't press people to make Aliyah. If the Lord moves in your heart and you know that's what you're supposed to do, wonderful. But uh, it's not easy. And I don't want anyone to ever accuse me of not having, uh, of, of trying to push them. You know, God will draw us. And if we don't come, then he will push us. And there's actually a prophecy uh, in the book of Jeremiah 
where God says uh, when, about re- causing the, the Jews to return to the land, because a lot of Jews got settled in and are very happy to live way outside of Israel. They're making more money. They're having more fun. Why should they move to here? Visit here, sure. Buy an apartment here, maybe. Invest here, maybe. But send their kids here to summer camp, great. But the, a lot of Jews, most Jews in the world, they are not planning to live here. But God says, first I will send the fishermen, meaning I will, I will sort of, you know, send in some bait, I guess, and, and, and draw you in. But if you don't come, then he says, I will send the hunters and I will drive you back into the land. Now, we normally think of hunters being part of driving us out of the land. But God says, look, if you're not going to come and I've told everybody in the scriptures, you're coming, then I'll make you come. Yeah, and I just think that's a, that's a very seldom known, seldom discussed uh, prophecy uh, in the Old Testament, and it goes to the point that God is sovereign. And if He says He's He's going to rebuild Israel and make it wonderful and bring you know, make Israel wonderful again, okay. uh, listen, I'm going to listen, Carol. We're going to make Israel great again, and that's what we're going to do. And, and if God says He's going to do that, then that means people have to come back, and God will not be mocked. <laughs> like if He can't entice you, encourage you to come, then He will He will drive you back here and. Uh, a lot of people, I think, have come, a lot of Jews have returned because they were in grave danger in Russia, Ukraine, right. you know, Yemen, Iraq, Iran, wherever, not because they thought, oh, that's going to be the best place for me to raise my family. Yeah. No, they were, in those contexts, hunted and literally moved and pushed to come uh, to Israel. But, you know, there's, I, I want us to talk about, because a lot of our listeners won't understand you know, they may have like been like you growing up, uh, you know, a little positive view of Israel, perhaps, or but pretty much just not much really driving as Christians, you know, being involved, going to Israel, seeing Israel. And, you know, we at the Joshua Fund, we feel like Genesis 12, uh, one to three is still uh, operational, if you will, yeah. you know, to bless Israel and her neighbors in the name of Jesus really represents for us uh, the opportunity for people to learn about Israel to give of their resources if they can, to pray for Israel, like to, to bless Jerusalem and pray for the peace of Jerusalem, and then also to go and to get a chance to, to see this amazing place that you've just described a little bit. But tell us, you know, now that you've lived there a number of years, I think uh, eight years now, right? Hasn't it been? Uh, is this yeah, your eight? eight and a half right now, yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, so you've lived there eight years. What are some of the your favorite spots, maybe maybe the things that continue to bring joy to your heart. I know there are places you've led dozens of tours, or at least participated on dozens of tours. Uh, you certainly led uh, many tours for the Joshua Fund, uh, which you'll be doing this year as well. But tell us some of your favorite spots. Wow. How much time did you say that the podcast uh, will last this year? As long as you need. Yeah, no, it, it's, it's me. Well, of course, I would say my favorite certainly is Jerusalem because it is the epicenter of the epicenter and you go up on the temple mount and uh, even though it's uh, you know effectively controlled by muslims today it's still the place of the first temple it's the location of the second temple king david walked up there king solomon walked up there you know the, the lord jesus christ you know preached and taught there and was dedicated on his eighth day after he was born in, in Bethlehem. It's just an amazing, you know, you just think, wow. Really, and, and, and of course, uh, the, the apostles preached up on the Temple Mount. It really is like the epicenter of the epicenter of the epicenter. This is the absolute dead eye of God's plan and purposes. And he considers it holy for himself. Now, you know, it's being trampled right now by the Gentiles is what the Bible said. But at some point, there's going to be a third temple. And at some point after that, there's going to be a fourth temple. Mm-hmm. And and Jesus is going to reign from the fourth temple in this city where I'm talking to you from right now. It's just mind-blowing in the scope of how amazing and cool it really is. So certainly being here, you know, and including, you know, the Mount of Olives is beautiful and has a breathtaking uh, panoramic view of the old city. The Garden Tomb, I love, uh, you know, there is some dispute whether that's the exact tomb where Jesus, you know, rose from the dead. But I'll tell you, it is empty. <laughs> and uh, it is beautiful, and we will take you there if you come on the Joshua tour, and we'll do a communion service there. It's really an amazing place run by strong, you know, true believers in Jesus filled with the Spirit. It's just a beautiful, wonderful place. But I, So aside from Jerusalem, though, I, I'll just name a couple others. I love being up in Galilee. Being up around the Sea of Galilee is definitely my favorite spot outside of Jerusalem, in part because so much of the biblical history there, too, especially the New Testament base camp of Jesus is in Capernaum, 
uh, or in Hebrew is kafar, meaning a village of Nahum. And that's the synagogue where Jesus preached and did miracles. We're going to take you there uh, in November when you come on the Joshua Fund trip. And Peter's house is right next door. And you're like, come on. I'm like, no, it really is. And we'll explain why when you come. We're not going to tell you right now. You know, you come over, we'll have you to, uh, to take you to Peter's house. But the Sea of Galilee area is so undeveloped. I mean, there is, Tiberius is still a, you know, a medium-sized city by Israeli standards. There are people that live there. There's wonderful restaurants. There's a great Chinese Thai fusion restaurant called Pagoda up on the North Shore. I mean, we love that place. Yeah. Uh, but it might associate the Sea of Galilee with, Thai food, but you know, well, no, that's you, true. Yes, there's also great fish, which we will also have on the trip. And taking a boat ride across the Sea of Galilee, yeah. we usually cut the engines about halfway across and just just have a time of worship and prayer. And it's really amazing to be out on the Sea of Galilee. Now, we won't take you if there's a storm. We won't make you walk home on the water. Like we're not gonna, you know. But it's just so lovely. And so, um, and the, the the Mount of Beatitudes, where Jesus preached the that actual Sermon on the Mount. We, we do it all, and it's beautiful because it looks like it still would have looked. Jerusalem looks uh, both modern in some areas and then ancient in others, but because there's not a temple you know, standing there and because there are a lot of architectural changes, you're not literally seeing it just the way Jesus experienced it. Though when you walk through the, the labyrinthian aromatic alleyways, it's pretty cool. And you see goats and sheep coming around the corner and, and you're like, Jesus and the apostles could literally pass by me and I might miss them because it's just, it's just so much to take in. But up in the, in the Galilee area, it's undefiled. It's, you really are seeing what Jesus saw. You're, you're, you're seeing the natural beauty. I love going up to the Golan Heights. And being up on the Syrian border is pretty amazing. Learning some of the history of the wars and and, and the future prophecies that will come true there. There's a great coffee shop up, up, up there, which we'd love to take you to. Um, you talk about McDonald's and a coffee shop. Oh, that's right. There is Armageddon McDonald's. Now, we never actually take people to eat there because we think, look, if you come all the way to Israel, do you really want to have McDonald's? I mean, bless your heart. But we often will take the buses through, you know, just and I'll just get out and say, listen, this is actually – Armageddon McDonald. I'm not kidding. I'm not making this oh, stuff up. I am a fiction writer, but still, yeah. You know, the beaches of, of the Mediterranean are gorgeous and uh, so much fun. My kids have learned to surf and they, you know, Lynn, yeah. having grown up on the Jersey Shore, just loves the shore, though it's funny for her because, you know, the Jersey Shore is facing east and so the sun rises over it. But here, uh, the uh, the Mediterranean Shore is facing west and That's so right. the sun sets, and so it, it's a little discombobulating. It's, um, it's, it's, it, it, yeah. it restores my uh, – every time I'm watching sunsets uh, over the matter, it's yeah. all over again. Exactly. But, you know, it, one of my favorite places as well, and I know we're going to see this on the Israel tour this fall, is uh, Caesarea. Caesarea. Mm-hmm, yes. And just to know that the Apostle Paul spent two years, you know, in this place reasoning the gospel, you know, with, before the king and the – the governor, it's just an amazing place. Everywhere you turn, in some way, I'm always surprised that there aren't like archaeological finds every week uh, somewhere because there's so much construction going on in Israel. There, uh, maybe every month for sure. Sometimes it's every week. And, you know, we cover as much as that we can on all Israel news. But you're right. It's not all of them are breathtaking, you know, change the world forever type discoveries. But, yes, people are discovering stuff all the time. It's amazing. It's amazing. And I think, uh, you know, for many of us in America, uh, particularly, you know, our history is defined by 400 years, you know, really from the very first uh, settlers and the very right. first colonists. But, you know, 400 years is uh, like a blink of the eye in, uh, in, in Israel. You have layer upon layer of civilization and, and uh, the great confluence. I mean, not just history, but current events right now. What, I'm just going to cut to the chase. Why do you think Christians should visit Israel? Uh, and why is it important for evangelical Christians to visit Israel? Look, I think the simplest way to put it is if Israel and particularly Jerusalem is important to God, it should be important to us. If it's mm. important to Jesus, and Jesus was an Israeli. He was born in this country as a Jewish Israeli. Now, <laughs> I mean, he, I mean, Jesus, let's, let's be honest, Carl, he's the most famous Israeli in human history. Israel isn't super proud of him. Like, they're not like, woo, like, I mean, they've gotten better, I think, over time because they realize a lot of Christians want to come here and it's important to us. So they're much more respectful at the government level and, you know, society. But it's not like they're like, 
wow, this is, you know, they're not trying to export Jesus from here. The New Testament was written, much of it here or to here or about here. So look, you don't need to come to Israel to, you know, to be a believer. I mean, you're going to, by the way, all believers are coming to Israel eventually. Now it right. may be in the millennial kingdom. You, if you can't get here, you know, look for some people, it's money. Some people it's time. Some people it's, they have little kids or young kids that, that need their attention. They just can't leave or they can't afford to bring the kids too. Or it's a, it's their parents who, who are elderly and they need their attention. to. There's lots of reasons why people cannot come, but you can rest assured you're all coming during the thousand year reign of Christ. Uh, in fact, you have to come here and literally you can live anywhere else on the world that you want. I I'm hoping that the Lord assigns me to the Caribbean, but you know, whatever, but everybody has to come to Jerusalem at least once a year. And God says, if you don't, I won't rain on your crops. So that'll be a, that'll be a problem. But so everybody gets to come here. That's the great thing. But it is amazing to come here before the millennial kingdom to see what's happening here now. Yes, the history biblically and the and the more modern history. Um, what's happening at present? What's God doing now to meet not just not just to look at the dead stones of, of the archaeological remains, but the living stones of the church, the Jewish and Arab and other believers in Jesus and the pastors and ministry leaders will introduce you to some wonderful believers. You'll worship with them. You'll, they'll, they'll teach the scriptures to you. And, and it'll be pretty amazing to meet people and think, wow, I didn't just, cause a lot of Christians come and for whatever reason, their pastors don't know local believers yeah. or even think about connecting them to the local body. So they, it's just something they miss and we don't let you miss it. It's, it's central to the Joshua experience when you come but also you're learning about prophecy. We're going to be talking about what's God's plan for Israel and the nations in the future and how does this all fit in and why does that matter? Well, we cover it all and yes, we can cover it in your home church or you can, you know, read my books, whatever. But when you come here, it is all in technicolor. It is all 4D. It is all, it, you're really here. And most people, their minds are sort of blown because you know, for people, let's say, who are Tolkien fans of the Lord of the Rings, it's like driving along. If you see a sign for Jerusalem or Bethlehem or Nazareth, yeah. it's like seeing the sign for the Shire or, yeah, or, or right. Mordor or whatever. You're like, that's right. not, I mean, I know it's, it's just so mythic in our minds, our hearts, our souls. We can't really believe that we're really seeing it. And I think one of the things that I've enjoyed most wasn't just me coming for the first time or bringing my wife and kids and my parents here for the first time. That was amazing. The gift that keeps on giving is bringing other people for their first time or, or their second or third, but because yeah. there's so much to see and just to watch people. It's like watching children on Christmas morning. They're just like, they're full of joy and they just can't believe it. And of all ages and backgrounds and, and physical capacity, but they're like, I'm really here. It's like a, a joyful, but also very sobering experience to go, Wow, I've been reading about this, singing about this, and now I'm really here. It, it that is one of the most special experiences that Lynn and I could possibly have. Yeah, I've talked to so many people in in my ministry, in my world, uh, for years, and I can say that the vast majority of them will tell me that the most impactful trip, even if they've served and been to many, many other countries, the most impactful trip they've ever taken or trips that they've ever taken have been to Israel and the Holy Land. I like to say that, you know, when you go into Israel, Israel goes into you. Uh, and it, it, it really does become deep uh, woven into the fabric of our faith as, as believers. Uh, like you said, that there's an authenticity that happens when we meet believers uh, in this place, when we understand that this is the place where Jesus ministered and where the apostles ministered and where the prophets ministered. Uh, and I, I don't know, I can tell you this, there's there's uh, a, a, a real sense, uh, you know, especially with the Joshua Fund trip, that, that we have this through line for the whole experience of biblical history. You know, go to the Bible and then go to the place, see it. Yeah. And then with you teaching about what God is doing now and the, the relationships that you've had with leaders in Israel and in the region, you know, the other countries, you know, we get a sense of what is happening right now. What, like you have said numerous times on this podcast, where, where the chess pieces are right now on the board. Right. And then ultimately, as you've talked about, but not, but not just prophetically thinking about this as some, you know, distant thing, but, but really as a connected through line between the Bible the current events 
and prophecy yeah. uh, in the Bible and what God is going to do there. I find it to be the most amazing place, and you know that. Another phrase that I use personally is come step into the story, right? Mm. We know the story of the Bible, but when you step into it, it is different because it's an ongoing story. It's not just history. It is a fast-moving river, and you get swept up in it. And I start telling people from the first night of coming, I said, listen, in many ways, you're going to be overwhelmed emotionally, spiritually by all of it. You're going to go through some jet lag so that, you know, physically you may have some moments where all the adrenaline and excitement isn't quite enough, but that's okay. You just fall asleep during one of my talks. You'll be fine. I won't hold it against you. I get it. But I said, start to write down what God is speaking to you, key verses, key impressions, now, from day one, because when you go home, your friends and your family and your neighbors and your you know people in your Sunday school class and whatever, they're going to be like, wow, what was it like? And unfortunately, most believers are like, oh, man, I mean, I, where do I even begin? It's just like so – it was – I just can't even – like. and then they're like, okay, well, I, we've got to go to lunch. So yeah, like, people are interested, but you yeah. have to be ready. And so I said, just take notes and, and and process, take the notes on your phone or in your journal or diary or whatever, but then be ready with your first two or three or four things that you want to share with someone so you're ready to give an answer for the hope that you have and the joy that you have. Like, wow, it was great. The first place we went really moved me because, you know, whatever. So when we talk about learn, pray, give, and go, like I can't really say that so well from here because I have to say learn, pray, give, and come. But when I'm here and the team is here, the tour is here, then I'll say learn, pray, give, and now go. Go home and take what you've learned here, what God has been stirring in you, and go share it with other people. And that, you know, I mean, we have have staff from the Joshua who first met us because they came on a tour. And we have board members who first met us and are on the board today because <laughs> they came on a tour with us. So it, I, I don't know if that'll happen in the future. Who knows? You never know. We're like, wow. But the point is, it stirs people to think, now what should I go do with this? Not just to share it with friends, but maybe there's something more. And I, I can't pretend to tell our audience today what that would be. But some people's whole lives have been transformed. Their ministries have been transformed or they got a ministry that God had never given them prior. And so, yeah, I'm just saying buckle up when you come over here. Yeah. Well, it's wonderful. And and just speaking from someone who's who's had the benefit of sitting and listening to some of your teaching on these things and, and to know that our desire at the Joshua Fund is to not just uh, have people receive and absorb information. And I think a lot of experiences that people have going to Israel is so much information. It's overwhelming and so much. We are really all about the hands and feet of Jesus. You know, for us, it is about blessing Israel and the neighboring countries in the name of Jesus. So it's never about just absorbing and receiving information. You know, there's the classic illustration of the Sea of Galilee on one end of the Jordan River in Israel and the other end is is the Dead Sea. And right. And the reality is the, the, the Sea of Galilee is a living sea because it's taking in and it's giving out, whereas the Dead Sea is just absorbing. And it's so low that there is no stream that can run out of the Dead Sea. And it just continues to take in. Yeah. Nothing can live there. Nothing can can exist in that, in that right. environment. So when we take people to Israel, it's not just to pour in, but it's so that they can pour out and that they can be uh, streams of living water to people in all the contexts that they're in. So Absolutely. Uh, and look, uh, Lord willing, when people come on this next trip, we're going to introduce you to some of the earliest known believers in the country. It's like meeting an American believer who stepped off the Mayflower. Like how often can that happen? But it's one of the very special things. You're, you're meeting believers who God is really using to, to, to transform a country that God is initially rebuilding physically, but he's breathing life in, in from Ezekiel 37. And now more and more Jews are, are listening to the gospel, considering the gospel. Some are coming to faith. We've gone from 23, 23 Jewish followers of Yeshua in 1948 to about 30,000 today. And of course, we're heading towards a Romans eleven twenty six world where all Israel gets saved. That's a topic for another podcast. But but that movement, you know, in America has gone from 2,000 Jewish believers when I was born in 67 to a mil- almost a million now in the United States alone. But we're starting to see that movement in Israel, too. So so you're yeah. really seeing the early stages, not just of Israel at its 75th anniversary of its 
physical and, and, and geopolitical reconstruction. That's amazing. It yeah. didn't exist for 2000 years and now it does for 75. That's mind blowing and a great um, apologetic to atheist agnostics or just your own children who are like, you don't really believe the Bible, mom and dad, do you? I mean, like, what's the proof? Come to Israel. It literally exists and nobody in the world thought it would. But the other side is, and God is rebuilding his people into the spiritual stones of God's family. He's adopting Jewish people who are lost and rebellious into his family. And we're, in, we're only at the very early stages of that. And much of the Christian world has just focused on where the fruit is uh, comes faster. China, yeah. India, uh, you know, uh, Iran, uh, Sub-Saharan Africa, Brazil. Like, yes, God is moving powerfully in the world, but he is moving among the Jewish people. And how exciting to come and see it, understand it better, and possibly become involved financially, prayerfully, in terms of your time, your talent, your treasure. That so jazzes me to give other people the opportunity that I just love that. Well, and I know that, you know, there are many things you know, sometimes that people can can put up as objections. And you talked about price and you talked about distance and some people are not comfortable with those things. And we just ask people to pray through those things if there's ways for people to do that. But, you know, some of the other things that may be, you know, on people's minds are are some of the, you know, uh, perhaps the the dangers. Uh, what would you say to somebody who said, you know, is there is there any risk in uh, coming to Israel? Um, and uh, how would you respond to that? Yeah, there's the risk that your family and friends are going, what are you crazy? It's crazy. Haven't you read one of Joel's books? It's dangerous <laughs> over there. You're going to, you're all going to be murdered. You know, the missiles and the terrorists. And the, But the bigger risk is you're going to miss a great opportunity if you don't come. Look, we get it. If you can't come, you can't come. We, you know, we only have so much space on these buses, right? So you should sign up sooner rather than later because every right. year they're packed and we we can only take so many people. And then we get people like, well, how come you can't take me? You should have signed up sooner, you know, bless your heart. But my point is the, the only thing you're going to risk is missing a chance to see it for yourself and have it deeply, deeply impact your spiritual life and that of your family, your children, your, your parents, whatever. If you can come as a family, it's, it's, it's ideal. But even if you just come as a couple and get grandma and grandpa to watch your kids, yeah, I get it. Not everybody can afford to bring four, five, six people, but maybe come as an anniversary gift to each yeah. other, you know, and yeah. take it as, look, I know we don't normally take 12 days out of our life to just go do something ourselves as a couple, but that's meaningful. Come as a single. We, we will really build community. You'll be on a bus, but you'll be with people that we'll make sure you meet each other and you get to know each other and hear each other's testimonies and worship together. You're not going to be just flying solo. We don't believe in solo here. So that's some of the things that we love. And I can't even believe we didn't mention this. If you've never been baptized, we, yeah. we would love to baptize you in the Jordan River or and or the Sea of Galilee, which is the Jordan River just flowing through. Like that is some of the most meaningful things for people who've never been baptized. It is super encouraging. Or maybe you were baptized as a child by sprinkling, but you've never been immersed. Or you were baptized, but you didn't really know what you were doing way back when, or you or you drifted way far from the Lord. And you're like, look, I need to do this where I know I'm doing it because I'm telling the world. I've died to myself and I've been resurrected in the life of Christ because of it, what he's done for me. And I want to be baptized. What an amazing experience. All of our sons were baptized here. I had the joy of baptizing them. And, uh, you know, if that's something that uh, is be meaningful to you, wow, where better? I mean, you don't have to be baptized in the Jordan River, but how cool is that? And how special is so it? Cool. And, yeah. and, you know, I'll say this, you know, as far as bringing people to this, you know, one story I've heard from some of our uh, friends was that younger uh, adult children got together and for their parents' anniversary, sent them on one of our tours. That's and, great. you know, that to me is also another way to, you know, to kind of affirm family and blessing. And if you want, I mean, if I'm going to just say this as we got to wrap up here, I know we could talk all I don't know if you heard my cat, my little, my, she's freaking out, you know, and I'm like, <laughs> all right, hold on, Rosie. Okay. okay. Hang in um, there. We're going we're gonna, to um, wrap up, but I did want to just say to anyone listening right now, if you want the opportunity, as Joel has said, to, to not only see the amazing history and to, to literally walk in the steps of the story of Jesus and the disciples for the prophets and for the whole land of Israel, if you want to have an opportunity to, to literally bless Israel by being there and standing with Israel, standing in Israel and standing with Israel, 
And if you want to be one of those people that is able to, to bring back uh, with you the joy of what God is doing, plus get a chance to hear from Joel Rosenberg on a daily basis and uh, to be uh, potentially... That might be a disincentive, Carl, but whatever. You can, uh, at least we're honest about so, it. Joel. I don't think so. I just want to urge you to join us on our uh, Joshua Fund tour of Israel this November, November 28th through December 8th. It's it's after Thanksgiving. It's before the holidays heat up. It's a great time to see Israel, to enjoy the beautiful uh, countryside, the weather, the the historic and the ministry sites that you'll see will be life-changing forever. And, uh, and I want to just pray with you and for you to consider coming with us on the Joshua Fund Tour this fall. And if you'd like to learn more about that tour or anything else the Joshua Fund is doing, you can go to our website at joshuafund.com. And there you can learn everything that the Joshua Fund is doing to bless Israel and the Middle East and her neighbors in the name of Jesus and how you can participate in the work that we're doing. And, of course, to sign up and find out more information about our trip to Israel uh, this fall. So for anything that you've heard on this program, and mostly about the sights and sounds and feelings and ministry of being in Israel, you can go to our show notes and check out all that information right there. Joel, thank you again for giving us this personal invitation and insight into what it's like to live in Israel. Sometimes we uh, deal with very serious topics, and uh, but this was fun to share some of these uh, stories and memories. Amen. Amen. So for Joel Rosenberg and all of us here at the Joshua Fund, I'm Carl Muller. Thanks for listening to this episode of Inside the Epicenter. Hi, this is Joel Rosenberg, founder and chairman of the Joshua Fund, and I've got exciting news. In 2023, I'm inviting you on behalf of our entire board and staff to come to the Holy Land, to come to Israel on the next prayer and vision tour. This is the 75th anniversary of the prophetic rebirth of the modern state of Israel back in 1948. And what is God doing here? It's amazing, spiritually, economically, in so many ways. There's been so much growth, so much progress, but the best is yet to come. And we want you to see it. We want you to walk where Jesus walked. We want you to see where the apostles ministered. We want you to see where people's lives were transformed by the love of God and the power of the Holy Spirit. We want you to see this city where Jesus died and rose again and where he's coming back, I hope soon. But in the meantime, come to Israel with the Joshua Fund. You can learn more about the trip, the itinerary, the cost, all the details at joshuafund.com. But sign up quickly because I think this thing is going to fill up fast. The Prayer and Vision Tour of Israel in the fall of 2023. I hope to see you there. Hi, I'm Beckett Cook, host of The Beckett Cook Show. I lived as a gay man in Hollywood for many, many years until I had a radical encounter with Jesus 13 years ago. Since then, I've gotten my master's degree in seminary and published a book called A Change of Affection. On my podcast, The Beckett Cook Show, I sit down with fascinating Christian scholars and thinkers to address the lies of the culture and bring the biblical truth to bear on those lies. To start listening now, go to lifeaudio.com or search for The Becca Cook Show on your favorite podcasting platform.